everybody. We are live. Thank you for tuning in. This is the JF Media Show. The J-A-E-F Media Show. My name is Calvin Kabanda and I am your host for today. This is episode four of our book study. The title of the book is Healing for Damaged Emotions. Healing for Damaged Emotions by David A. Simmons. I like to always find out how are you doing, my brother, my sister, my friend, how are you doing? I hope you're doing well. And for whatever reason, if you are not doing well, I pray and trust and believe that at whatever point you hit exit, that the power of God will follow you and manifest and change your situation, uh, whatever it is that is causing you grief. <clears throat> Excuse me. Quickly, I'd like to settle for the quick prayer because we are venturing out into uh, spiritual terrain and who better than the Holy Spirit to be our tour guide and, um, you know, blaze uh, the trail for us. So Father, once again, thank you for this opportunity for us to be gathered here uh, as we continue to seek spiritual truth. I ask that Holy Spirit, <clears throat> I invite your presence into this atmosphere, into this room. Attach yourself to the frequency of these airwaves. Create a canopy around us, around whoever is listening right now. I ask that you'll open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive this engrafted word with meekness that is able to save our souls. And it's in Jesus, Jesus, mighty, mighty, wonderful name I do pray. Amen. All right. This is episode four. We've been journeying through a book that a friend of mine, we had a book exchange and he gave me healing for damaged emotions. And my first reaction to receiving it was, well, why do I need this book? I don't need to read it. Why do I have to deal with emotions all over again? And because of the same way that I reacted to receiving it the very first time is the reason that I am going to start out by reading the preface and some of the um, statements in the book <clears throat> that quickly captured my attention. So right away, says your past doesn't have to hurt your present. Says events in our lives, both good and bad, form rings in us like the rings in a tree. Each ring records memories that affect our feelings, our relationships, and our thoughts about God. In this classic work, David Simmons encourages us to live compassionately with ourselves as we allow the Holy Spirit to heal our past. 
as he helps us name hatters in our lives such as guilt, poor self-worth, and perfectionism. He shows us how we can find freedom from our pain and enjoy the abundant life God wants for us. All right. <clears throat> Let's do this. Okay. So, um, again, maybe you've heard this before, but it bears repeating. Just in case someone ever stumbles across this episode, episode, you know, just they haven't listened to the other three, I want them to have a little bit of background and context. So bear with me as I reread some of the things that you and I have already listened to, but it, you know, the more that we listen to these things, you know, the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It means it's a continual process. Okay. So <clears throat> he says, early in my pastoral experience, I discovered that I was failing to help two groups of people through the regular ministries of the church. Their problems were not being solved by the preaching of the word commitment to Christ, the feeling of the spirit, prayer, or the sacraments. I saw one group being driven into futility and loss of confidence in God's power. While they desperately prayed, their prayers about personal problems didn't seem to be answered. They tried every Christian discipline, but with no results. As they played the same old cracked, uh, cracked record of their defects, the needle would get stuck in repetitive emotional patterns while they kept up the outward observances of praying and paying and professing. They were going deeper and deeper into disillusionment and despair. So this was a group that was losing confidence because um, the needle of the things they were trying to do in the spiritual world walk with God would get stuck in repetitive emotional patterns. They didn't know why. They kept coming back around and around and around and around. Okay? I saw the other group moving towards phoniness. These people were, rep were repressing their inner feelings and denying that anything was seriously wrong because Christians can't have such problems. Instead of facing their problems, they covered them with a veneer of scripture verses, theological terms, and unrealistic platitudes. They denied, the denied problems went underground only to later reappear in all manner of illnesses, eccentricities, terribly unhappy marriages, and sometimes even in the emotional destruction of their children. During this time of discovery, God showed me that the ordinary ways of ministering would never help some problems. And he began to enable me to open up my heart to personal self-discovery and to new depths of healing, love through my marriage, my children, and intimate friends. God then led me to enlarge my pastoral ministry to include special care and prayer for damaged emotions and unhealed memories. You see, Special care and prayer for damaged emotions and unhealed memories. In the 20 years that I have been preaching, teaching, counseling, and distributing recordings of the subject, I have heard from thousands of formerly defeated Christians 
who have found release from emotional hang-ups and have experienced the healing of crippling memories of the past. Well, um, okay. One Sunday evening in 1966, I preached a sermon called The Holy Spirit and the Healing of Our Damaged Emotions. It was my first venture into this area. I was convinced that God had given me that message or I would have never had the courage to preach it. What I say that evening about the healing of memories and damaged emotions is now old hat. You'll find it in a lot of books, but it wasn't old then. So, quickly, um, there's so, there's a lot of really good things here that Um, divine repairs, okay. So, just again, some quick highlights from, just for context again. I love, some of these things bear repeating. Um, it says, in the rings of our thoughts and emotions, the record is there. The memories are recorded and are all and are all and all are alive. And they directly and deeply affect our concepts, our feelings, and our relationships. They affect the way we look at life and God, at others and ourselves. Man, this, this just bears just reading from the top quickly. Let me go in. Over the years, letters and testimonies from across the world have confirmed that there is a realm of problems that requires a special kind of prayer and a deeper level of healing by the Spirit. Somewhere between our sins and on, 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 on the one hand and our sicknesses on the other, lies an area the scripture calls infirmities. We can explain this by an illustration from nature. If you visit the Western United States, bear with me, I'm just gonna cruise through because every time uh, I do a recap, it ends up being just another episode. I, I wanna get into some <laughs> new, new, keep it going. We have 150, let me see. This book is 171 pages. And so far, we are still on page 12. So we've got a ways to go. So if we're ever gonna do any other book reviews, we need to finish this one. But hey, there's no rushing. This is a deep uh, subject. So if you and I have to spend a full year here, it's worth it. But anyways, let's keep it going. We can explain this by an illustration from nature. If you visit the Western United States, you will see the beautiful giant sequoia and redwood trees. In most of the parks, the naturalists can show you a cross section of a great tree they have cut, and they will point out that the rings of a tree reveal the developmental history, year by year. Here's a ring that represents a year when there was a terrible drought. Here are a couple of rings from years when there was too much rain. Here's where the tree was struck by lightning. Here are some normal years of growth. The ring 
shows a forest fire. Uh, this ring shows a forest fire that almost destroyed the tree. He's another, uh, he is another of savage blight and disease. And all of this lies embedded in the heart of a tree, representing the autobiography of its growth. I didn't know this. This is amazing. Wow. This is what, just reading that is one of the things that opened me up to believe that I need to go deep down into the rings of my memories and my emotions and do some deep cleaning. So he goes on to say, that's the way it is with us. Just a few thin layers beneath the protective bark, the concealing, the protective mask are the recorded rings of our lives. There, there are the scars of ancient painful hearts. Wow. As when a little boy rushed downstairs one Christmas dawn and discovered in his Christmas stocking a dirty old rock, put there to punish him for some trivial boyhood naughtiness. This scar has eaten away at him, causing all kinds of interpersonal difficulties. He is the discoloration of a, of a tragic stain that muddied all of life. As years go, behind the barn, or in the haystack, or out in the woods, uh, sorry, here is the discoloration of a tragic stain that muddied all of life. As years ago, behind the barn, or in the haystack, or out in the woods, a big brother took a little sister and introduced her to the mysteries. No. The mysteries of sex. And here we see the pressure of a painful repressed memory of running after an alcoholic father who was about to kill the mother and then of rushing for the butcher knife. Such scars have been buried in pain for so long that they are causing heart and rage that are inexplicable. And these scars are not touched by, this is what I like, by conversion and sanctifying grace or by the ordinary benefits of prayer. Okay. It says, in the rings of our thoughts and emotions, in the rings of our thoughts and emotions, the record is there. The memories are recorded and all are alive. And they directly and deeply affect our concepts, our feelings, and our relationships they affect the way we look at life and God at others and at ourselves we preachers often give people the mistaken idea that the new birth and being filled with the spirit are going to automatically take care of these emotional hang-ups but this just isn't true a great crisis experience of Jesus Christ as important and eternally valuable as this is is not a shortcut to emotional health it is not a quickie cure for personality problems. It is necessary that we understand this, first of all, so that we can compassionately live with ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to work with special healing in our own hearts and confusion. We also need to understand this in order not to judge other people too harshly, but, we have, but to have patience with their confusing and contradictory behavior. In so doing, we will be kept from unfairly criticizing and judging fellow Christians. They are not fakes, phonies, or hypocrites. They are people, like you and me, with hearts and scars and wrong programming that interferes with their present behavior. 
Understanding that salvation does not give instant emotional health offers us an important insight into the doctrine of sanctification. It is impossible to know how Christian a person is merely on the basis of his outward behavior. And then it says, Isn't it true that by their fruits you shall know them? Matthew 7, 20. Yes, but it is also true that by their roots you shall understand and not judge them. Wow. Hallelujah. So, I just love that um, icebreaker for us. Now, previously, in the last episode, we looked at the evidence of damaged emotions. What are the evidences that you have damaged emotions? This is one of the most common, uh, these are some of the things we've talked about, is a deep sense of unworthiness, a continuous feeling of anxiety, inadequacy, and inferiority, an inner nagging that says, I'm no good. Man, I used to struggle with that a lot. One of the most common is a deep sense of unworthiness. This is what we spoke about in the previous episode. Unworthiness. A continuous feeling of anxiety, inadequacy, and inferiority, inferiority an inner nagging that says, I'm no good. I'll never amount to anything. No one could ever possibly love me. Everything I do is wrong. Wow. This is... These are so good, man. I... Because... You know what, what? What's really interesting is, even as I read this right now, I can't explain or express the impact of just. Um, yeah, I finished. I finished the book, but uh, the impact of some of the prayers that I've been praying ever since I started reading this book, and how these prayers. Uh, honestly start to feel like there's a brush that is going into depths of um, of my soul. You know, like those brushes, the, 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 the long ones that you use to clean bottles, those long uh, brushes that they, they, they're slender and you can just in and out of tight spaces. I feel that with this new understanding, these prayers I pray for myself that I never used to pray before and they are valves of freedom of the love of God flowing through me that I just flowing through me there's certain drainages um, that I had in my spirit man in my soul that were blocked and clogged and knowing these things that David is telling us about really helps you that many of us only pray about the, 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 I only think we only ever think about the out, you know, the, 
bind loose cast like the 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 the, the other warfare prayers spiritual warfare you know uh charging the gates of hell you know taking the kingdom of god by violence i'm all for that but we i think one of the things i mentioned in the last episode i mean the, that last episode was something sometimes uh the holy spirit just takes over and i don't even know what i said and I, he's not even on my notes. I just have points here of places in the book to, to stop and speak. So I don't even remember. I would have had to listen to it again. And there's been some, uh, uh, some, a number of days between the last episode recording and this one. But I think one of the one of the things that was brought to our attention by the Holy Spirit was that little foxes spoil the vine. This is in from Songs of Solomon. It talks about watch out for the little foxes that spoil the vine. Is that you can be anointed, or you can be doing things outwardly, but I don't want to be the kind of believer that on the outward, you know, I'm advancing the kingdom of God, but on the inward, my house is not in order. On the inward, I'm struggling with maybe shame, guilt, rejection. Um, I, I want to be whole on the inside before I am whole to someone else. No wonder Jesus said that love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you don't love yourself, you're not going to love your neighbor. You're not going to love your neighbor. So, a deep sense of unworthiness. I struggled with that. Man, I just, I thank the Lord for delivering me. So, that was one of the things, uh, a characteristic. It was a deep sense of unworthiness and anxiety, inadequacy, inferiority, and nagging that says, I am not good enough. I'll never amount to anything. It says, when, what happens to this kind of person when he becomes a Christian? What happens to this kind of person when he becomes a Christian? Part of his mind believes in God's love, accepts God's forgiveness, and feels at peace for a while. Then all of a sudden, everything with him rises up to cry out, it's a lie. Don't believe it. Don't pray. There's no one out there to hear you. No one really cares. There's no one to relieve you of your anxiety. How could God possibly love you and forgive someone like you? You're too bad. What has happened? The good news of the gospel has not penetrated down into his damaged inner self. This person just cannot receive the goodness of the Lord. They just walk around feeling unworthy. Man, that's sad. That is sad. Another characteristic was a perfectionist complex. Um, this one is the inner feeling that says, I can never quite achieve. I never do anything well enough. I can't please myself, others, or God. This kind of person is always groping, striving, usually feeling guilty, driven by inner, um, uh, right here. They're driven by inner thought, inner oaths and shoes. I ought to be able to do this. I should be able to do that. I must be a little bit better. 
He's ever climbing but never reaching. My, my, my. What happens to this person when he becomes a Christian? Tragically enough, he usually transfers his perfectionism onto his relationship with God. Now, this is one that I also got delivered from, and I still am getting cleaned out on this one. Since he transfers his perfectionism onto his relationship with God, which is seen now as a figure on top of a tall ladder, he says to himself, I'm going to climb up to God now. I'm his child, and I want to please him more than I want anything else. So he starts climbing, rung by rung, working so hard until his knuckles are bleeding and his shins are bruised. Finally, he reaches the top only to find that his God has moved up three rungs. So he determines to try a little harder. He climbs and struggles, but when he gets up there, his God has gone up another three rungs. Some years ago, my goodness, um, so this person, um, this perfectionist complex, it, it, it is a challenge because a perfectionist complex, perfection, let me, let me just spend some time here. The perfectionist complex is interesting because it paralyzes faith. And it paralyzes faith. It assumes that it paralyzes faith. It says, wait until you are 100% there to start doing something. Wait until you have all the variables. It's, it's a complex that does not allow room for mistakes. Because we may come from a world with our parents or with our friends or relationships where perfection is what was preached and expected. And so we, we, we come, when we start walking with the Lord, we bring that same idea that the Lord expects perfection out of us. That we, have run, that we don't have margin for error. So some people's walk with God keeps them like that. They take one step forward, they take three steps backwards. No, they take, they take one step forward, or they can take two steps forward. But whenever they take one step backwards, it ends up taking them back another three steps. Because anytime they take a step back, they think that God just goes, oh, here we go. You know, like, can't he get it? Can't he get it? Or can't she get it? You know, our walk with God is like... Um, is if you ever look at a, a, a stock market graph, you never see a stock market graph just straight at the tangent, just go from the bottom here all the way straight to the top, you know, that diagonal line. It is not a perfect line diagonally. However, we, we look at the trend. Is it trending upwards? 
I believe that's what God desires. Are you trending in the positive direction? Yes, on Monday, you can have a high point. On Tuesday, you can have a low. However, your next high point, if it's higher than, if the, if the next peak is higher than the last peak, then across the years, guess what? You've been trending upwards positively. It is not perfection. So a perfectionist complex paralyzes people. So in scripture, most of the people that we see God using, it's interesting, God will always go to those people who have almost like an inferiority complex. He'll look for people who are not qualified at all. And every time he came across them and said, you, come here, I want to use you. All of them were like, me? You know, like, why are you choosing me? There's more capable vessels that you can use. So most of them would pull back. So that's, that's, that's something else that um, we see with the uh, quote-unquote perfectionist complex. It paralyzes faith. It paralyzes faith. So, something to be for us to watch out. Um, then, <laughs> listen to the story. A famous God is dead theologian was being interviewed. The reporter asked, what do you mean by God? He said, God? God to me is that little inner voice that always says, that is not quite good enough. <laughs> he didn't tell us much about God, but what he did say, but he did say a lot about his own personality. And I presume that such sick people produce sick theologies. Oh, how the perfectionist complex defeats people in the Christian life. And how it even keeps people out of the kingdom. Perfectionist complex. It's a cancer. Then says there's another kind of damaged emotion that we can call supersensitivity. That's another, that's another one. Um, and again... I had to deal with this when it came to sending text messages. And previously, um, if I message, you know, some, maybe you've ever been a if you message, you expect a reply right away. And if a text, a reply takes long, you you get caught up in, oh, you know, um, what you know, like what is the person thinking or. Why, why didn't they reply right away? Why, why this, why that? You start to emerge in all the worst case scenarios. That, oh, maybe they didn't appreciate the message or they didn't do this or, you know? And you, you get to a point where you realize that, man, life happens. You know, life happens. The same way that, oh, just a second here. The same way, I'm looking at my script. The same way that 
you want people to be patient with you when they message you, you have to be patient with them. People are not always in the mindset or in, you know, in, 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 you know, in, in a headspace, at least some people, they, you know, they, they respond quickly and they're always, you know, around their phone, but now I'm not even a person who's around my phone. So maybe you send a message and someone's having a, is just busy, just having a normal busy day and they read your message and they just forget. They genuinely forget. You don't have to go off and just run on run on a treadmill in your mind that what are they thinking? Oh, I should have messaged it a different way. I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have, you know. So he gives an illustration. He says the super sensitive person has usually been hurt deeply. They reached out for love and approval affection, but instead he got the opposite. And he has scars deep inside of him. Sometimes he sees things other people don't see. And he tends to feel things other people don't feel. One day I was walking down the street and saw super sensitive Charlie coming towards me. I usually give him a lot of attention, but that morning I was very busy, so I just said, Hi Charlie, how are you? And passed on by. When I go back to the office, a church member called me on the phone and asked, Are you mad at Charlie? I said, Charlie who? Well, you know Charlie Olson. Why? No. I saw him down the street. Then I suddenly realized that I hadn't given Charlie the appreciation and affirmation I usually do knowing he is super sensitive. Super sensitive people need a lot of approval. This, wow. You can never quite give them enough and sometimes they seem very insensitive. They have been hurt so badly they inst that instead of becoming sensitive, um, they cover it by being hard and tough. They want to get even and hurt others. So, quite unbeknownst to them, they spend their lives pushing people around, hurting and dominating them. They use money, authority, or position, or sex, or even summons to hurt people. Does this all affect the Christian experience? Yes. Very deeply. Okay. Then another characteristic, fear. And then we move on, uh, on to fear. Then there are people who are filled with fears. This is another characteristic of damaged emotions. I I have to confess. Um, in fact, uh, perhaps last night I spent a lot of time praying into weird fears that normally come up in my life. Going into those places and cleaning out, pulling out those strands of fear. As a child of God, you have to understand fear is not your portion. You are not to have phobias all over the place. Fear of this, fear of that. Fear paralyzes. Fear can paralyze you from making important decisions that are supposed to move you into a manifestation of destiny. Fear is something that I have waged war against in my life and I'm going to keep waging war and waging war and waging war until Christ comes back. Do not 
you might you might entertain certain fears, but remember it says a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So don't be comfortable with certain fears and say, okay, this one I will not fear, but have those fears that you're comfortable with. Because all of them affect the functioning of the wheel. Think about a, a wheel with, with many spokes attached to it. The more spokes that are weak, or oh, it's like a chain. It's like a chain. A chain is a link. If the more weak links that you have on a chain, the, the weaker the chain is going to be. I do not want to entertain any fears in my life. I call them out, I rebuke them, and I speak to them, and I ask the Holy Spirit to say, whatever is at the root of this fear, uproot it out of me. I don't want any fear. I have waged a personal war against fear. Fear of death, fear of lack, fear of rejection, fear of, 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 of what will so-and-so think, uh, fear of these, fear of that. I have waged a war against fear. Fear of certain animals. Now, of course, you have to use sense. I'm not asking you to run into the arms of a lion or a bear. But you know how you can be there. You're fearing this. You're fearing that. You're fearing that. You, you just have anxieties that are springing up. And it's because these roots of fear. So when you get into those moments in your day-to-day, -day, take a break, step out and say, Holy Spirit, I ask you, you know what is causing this? And that's where we're heading. Divine repairs of these symptoms of damaged emotions. Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, going to my depths of my heart, of my soul, of my memories, and scrape out every fear, every root of fear. It is not apropos. Fear of people, fear of speaking. We cannot entertain the spirit of fear. The scripture is very clear. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. I want to challenge you to wage war against fear. Fear of sharing the gospel. People always shove all kinds of nonsense into your face. Um, I used to be, I used to be timid about, you know, um, I work out, I go to, uh, um, there's a, there's a room, there's a, we, we, there's a, there's a gym in, in the building that I live in. And I was, would always be timid and say, man, like if I go in and I'm blessed and I'm playing this music and, and you know, it's Christian workout music and different genres, but they're all, it's all Christian, right? It can be Christian indie, Christian house, Christian hip hop, Christian, uh, whatever, worship, uh, just Christian music, Christian rock. I said, man, what's going to happen when people start hearing, you know, the name Jesus and, you know, the gospel being sung on those songs and fear gripped me. 
fear gripped me. And I, I just said, listen, I, I've had enough. I, I've had it. Every day, I have to put up with listening to cursing, to curse word music. When I'm walking by the water, people are blasting on a speaker, vulgar, degenerating music that you just want to put earplugs on. And they're playing it in open. So say, if someone has confidence to play music that degrades and does not uplift you in any way, and, and listen, I, I used to listen to that kind of music, but my eyes were open. My palate has changed. But I say, if someone's going to boldly play music about money, sex, drugs, nudity, doing this to women and, and, and all of these, painting all these uh, graphic images and he, he or she is going to play it on a boombox in the middle of a park. Man, if you're going to have a problem with me playing some clean music, some uplifting, edifying music, you know, I'm, I'm ready to tussle. <laughs> I'm ready to tussle. So that was a fear I had to overcome. I prayed. I said, I'm not going to be fearful. And guess what? For the last two years, probably going two years since I started taking music down to the gym, Man, people always ask me, they're like, man, you know, you know, bringing your tunes today, people are enjoying it. It's edifying music. Man, it pumps you up, but it's still speaking a good message to you. It's good music for the soul. You're working out your body, but man, your soul is getting fed. You know, these are stupid fears. Now I'm against, I've waged war against fear of sharing the gospel. Walking up to someone and say, have you ever heard about Jesus? Because, let's think about it. The fear that paralyzes us, we don't realize that, and, and, that the people we are afraid to share the message with, these are the people who, if we don't share the truth with them, they are perishing. They need to hear the truth. The people that we, in, in, you know, the, I've met so many friends in, in the building that I live in. And a lot of them are not believers. And so I'm always sharing the gospel with them. I'm always talking to them about Jesus. And I say, if I'm afraid of sharing Jesus with these people, am I truly their friend? If a hundred years from now, on the day of judgment, they stand there and they say, man, Calvin... We used to work out in the gym every day, and that guy never said anything to me about Jesus. And if they turn around and look at me, and I know that I didn't share Jesus with them, was because of fear of rejection, man. So I've waged a war against fear of rejection. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. People talk to me about their theories, their principles, their philosophies. If they're going to be bold about what they believe in, I have a right I deserve, uh, 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 I deserve to be bold about what I believe in, you know, if, you know, so we have to wage war. Don't entertain any fear. First John chapter four says fear has torment. Don't entertain any fear that is unwarranted. Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. I've waged a war against fear, anxiety, and worry. 
anytime I see them, I'm like, I got a big stick. I'm chasing after them. I don't want my heart to be a place where fear thinks, fear, worry, and anxiety feel that they can comfortably reside in me. No. So anyways, he says, then there are people who are filled with fears, different fears. Perhaps the greatest of them all is the fear of failure. This one. These damaged persons are so afraid of losing the game of life that they... Ah, oh, this is so good. I'm getting pumped up here. These damaged persons are so afraid of losing the game of life that they have, they have a simple way out. Never get into the game. Just sit on the sidelines. They say, I don't like the rules. Oh, I don't care for the referee. The ball isn't quite wrong. The goals are not right. Excuse, 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 excuse. I remember some years ago talking with a salesman in a used car lot. As we looked out the showroom window, we saw a man who was going around kicking tires on the cars. He was also raising the hoods and banging the fenders. The salesman said disgustedly, look at that guy out there. He's a wheel kicker. They are the bane of our existence. They come in here all the time but never buy cars because they can't make up their minds. Now watch him out there. He's kicking the tires. He'll say the wheels are out of line. He'll listen to the motor and say, hear that knock? Nobody else can hear the knock, but he can hear it. Something is always wrong. He's afraid to choose. He can never make up his mind, so he always finds an excuse. Life is filled with wheel kickers. God, this one hit me. Let me read it, and then I'll share a story with someone that I just... Um, my goodness. This is so good. Um... Life is filled with wheel kickers, people who fear failure and fear making the wrong decision. What happens to such people as they approach the Christian life? I'm laughing because I have some real life examples in my own life and someone else to share with you. Um, what happens to such people as they approach the Christian life? This is the problem. Believing is a great risk. It is very hard. Decisions tear them up. Faith comes hard. Witnessing is difficult. Sharing the gospel is difficult. Launching out in the Holy Spirit and really surrendering to God is almost a trauma. Discipline is difficult. The fearful people live on if-onlys. If only this or if only that, then I would be okay. But since the if-only never comes to pass, they usually never accomplish what they would like to do. The fearful are the defeated and the indecisive. My goodness. The fearful are the defeated and the indecisive. You know the first group that, that was thrown into the lake of fire in the book of Revelation? It was not even murderers and adulterers and homeowners. It was those who are cowards, the fearful. I want you to have a disdain for fear. Listen to this. Um, Revelation chapter 21. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh. Where is this? Here. 
Revelation chapter 21. I'll start from verse 6. I'll start from verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write for these things, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the word of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly and believing, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall all have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Listen to the first two categories that are going. The cowardly and unbelieving. Cowardly and unbelieving. Those are the first people who were thrown in. in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Uh, in another translation it says, But the fearful and unbelieving. The fearful and unbelieving. Fear is not something that you and I should entertain one iota of. No. No entertaining any fear. It says life is filled with wheel kickers. I had to pray and ask God to deliver me from this. Fear of making wrong decisions. I remember one time I, I, I dated this girl and um, <laughs> and so she would, uh, this is how bad this was. So we would organize and say, yeah, let's go out and um, where are we going to eat? And we could be walking down the block and I'll say, yeah, we're going to have, um, let's go, let's go into this Italian restaurant. Okay, okay, let's go, let's go. Man, as we're entering the Italian restaurant, a fear would grip me. It would say, well, what if she doesn't like it? Well, what if, like, uh, the ambience is not right? What if there is not the right amount of people? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And so we would walk in and sit. The moment we look at the menu, then something would just come on me and say, yeah, like, if maybe her attitude towards uh, the menu was like, ah, then I'll feel some kind of intimidation. I'll be like, okay, maybe let's just go. Let's just go find another place. Let's just... And um, I would change the restaurant or <laughs> the place we intend to go eat like three times on our way there. It's like, okay, we're driving. We're heading somewhere. It's like, okay, my mind, I've, to I've told that we're going to go to Italia. But then I was just like, well... He sees us walking into a Mexican place. He said, well, I thought about it. As we enter the Mexican place, I'm like, yeah, I think maybe we should have gone. Just indecisiveness. And I remember one time, oh, unfortunately for me, she's like, just Calvin, decide. Make a decision and just go with it. And years later, years later on, I remembered that it is scriptural. In James, in the book of James, it talks about it. <laughs> the book of James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all 
liberally without reproach and it will be given to him but let him ask in faith with no doubting for whoever doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord he is double-minded he is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways and that was like, it hit me in the gut. Because she says, I said, come on, just make a decision and decide. Just make a decision and stick with it. Don't say this, you're going to eat here, then eat here, then eat here, then just. But when, when scripture, a couple of years after that, when I was, you know, the Lord will sometimes have you uh, do house cleaning and housekeeping. He said, I, I found that scripture and I was like, you know what? Even in scripture, it says, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. It is true. A double-minded man or woman is unstable in all his ways. This is what I'm saying. Don't entertain any fear. Because fears, you, you cannot have in one area be content with carrying this fear or entertaining it because a little leaven leavens the whole lamp. You have to be single-minded in all your ways. Make a decision and stick with it. Now, first forward, after I've grown and matured and I make a decision, man, and if I decide that I'm going to go to a certain place to eat and I show up and there is no one, I'm just going to sit down and eat. I have grown in conviction and standing by my decision. Make a decision, let the chips fall where they may. So first forward, after having gone through that experience, um, I was talking to someone. And um, uh, it's one of the girl, uh, one of the girls in the fellowship group that, that I'm a part of. And so she was asking, she always asks, she always asks so many uh, these double-sided these double-sided questions. And um, oh Lord help me. Um, your name is concealed. I'm not gonna mention your name if you happen to stumble upon this and listen to this. Um, but anyways, eventually I told her, I said, listen. Because I would say, um, this is just an example, and I speak it, I perceive by permission. I think she would let me do that. But if she wanted to make a decision, she would ask, well, I say, Calvin, what do you think? She'll ask someone in the fellowship, what do you think? Ask maybe her parents, her sister, her mother, uh, someone else. And so she has like 10, if, if all of us have six different opinions, then she has to decide between six different opinions. But one of the things I was saying, I was like, listen, you are better off making a decision on your conviction, at least even if it is wrong, you know that you made a decision on your conviction. You see, a lot of people make decisions based on a lot of input from everyone. 
even Jesus. He had three out of the twelve. You have to narrow your channel, your feedback loop. It can't have too many voices. It creates indecision. You have to get to a place where you, you can build a conviction. And the things that I was telling her, that I was talking to her about is that if you are not in a place like I was before where any in any area I was double-minded, at some point you have to start making some decisions. And that's the only way you can build your conviction and get more confidence in trusting your decisions. I told her, okay, so if you think you should go here or move here or do this or do that, I, I was telling her, you know, there's some decisions that even if you're wrong, these are not life-ending decisions. You know, you're not signing a marriage certificate or perhaps signing a mortgage. Those are decisions that you can't really, you don't want to roll the dice with. But decisions of, should I, you know, should I go work in this company? Should I move, go to another city and stuff like that? Those are decisions that if you get wrong, you can, you can come out of those decisions. Man, if you sign a marriage certificate, if you get it wrong, now you're talking about divorce. That, that, is, that, is, that is very different. You know, uh, but there's some decisions that I was basically encouraging her that get in the game of making decisions. And you're going to have to get to a point whereby even if you have heard my input, so-and-so's input and so-and-so's input, what is your heart telling you? What is your gut feeling? What is, you know, if you make a decision and you ignored the input of your heart and that decision ended up being wrong, man, you, 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 you were going to be in a place where you're like, man, I should have listened to my heart. I should have given my heart a chance in this decision, but you didn't. Because you relied on the opinions of other people to drive your decision. No. Start out with simple decisions. You know. And simple decisions don't delay in making simple decisions. Let not every decision be a decision that you have to um, ponder for three weeks. Let not every decision require a three-day fast. <laughs> you know. Just in your in your heart of hearts, where do you feel peace? You know, I was telling her that some of these decisions, you never have 100% peace. But where do you have the most peace on these two options? Go with the decision that gives you a bit more peace than the other. You may, you may never have perfect, complete peace in all of these decisions. So this was an area where we're talking about, and she was dealing with a lot of fears that were paralyzing her. And I knew every time she tried to make a decision, fear was there. The fear of making the wrong decision. I was like, man, at some point, you're going to have to make decisions. And it's okay. This is not a life-ending decision. If it, if it doesn't go well, you learn from it. You roll with the punches. You know, you learn from it. But you need to start building your conviction and your decision-making capacity by starting to make decisions and not being indecisive. You know, it shouldn't take you an hour, ladies, listen to me, to decide what to wear. 
make a decision and be, in that com and be confident in it. It shouldn't take you an hour. You put on this, take it off, and go change it. Then put it on this and say, yeah, but it doesn't. You've taken on a whole hour. Look at something, say, good. If it looks good, you know, there's always another day for you to dress up and try a different combination. So, the one of the areas in my life that has greatly improved and has been enhanced is decision making. And saying, man, I have a conviction, I'm going to roll with it. There's always another day to wear another dress that you thought you should have worn. There's sudden decisions in our lives that they shouldn't uh, take too much brain power. You know, they shouldn't drain so much spiritual currency. These, these bigger decisions for us to make, what to eat. I'm not going to sweat about that. Spend a whole day, I'm just going to go. Okay, if I ate the same thing, I'm just going to go eat it, eat it again. If, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm finding that the process of indecision is causing me anxiety and grief, I just press eject. I'm like, I don't have time for this. Just give me something. All that matters is I just need something in my stomach. Um, whenever my mind has decided <laughs> on what, what, what to eat, and I'm not going to spend a whole day going back and forth, there's always another day to make something else. I'm not going to let a decision about what I'm going to eat or whatever take me two days or take a whole day. I've got other things to use my brain power on. We are like computers. It's what is called CPU. Um, processing power. You can't have the processing power of your heart, of your mind, being uh, overrun by a lot of background activity. Even on our phones, you have too many apps open. You have too many decisions that are pending. Knock out some decisions off the board and let's get moving. So life is filled with a lot of wheel kickers. Always figuring out what is wrong. Anyways. Okay. This is. Remember. Fear of failure. These damaged persons are so afraid of losing the game of life that they that they have a simple way out. They never get into the game. They just sit on the sidelines. They say, "I don't like the rules. I don't like. I don't care for the referee. The ball isn't quite wrong. The goals are not right." You and I, we can't live like that, you know. So, don't be a wheel kicker. And then. Um, well, let's quickly go through the last one. We will start tapping onto divine repairs with, of, of these damaged emotions, which is where I wanted to get us. So let's recap the last one, the last evidence of damaged emotions. It says the whole area of sex, sex is another area of damaged emotions, is intricately mixed with all of these others everything we just read about, but needs a special word said about it. When the Apostle Paul wrote his first epistle to the Corinthians, he dealt with every imaginable kind of human problem, and some of which are almost unimaginable. He talked about quarrels, party splits, court cases, property disputes, and various kinds of sexual difficulty, 
from incest to prostitution. It is true. He talked about premarital relations and marital relations and postmarital relations. He wrote about widowhood, divorce, vegetarianism, getting drunk at the communion table, speaking in tongues, death and funerals, taking up offerings and conducting an every member canvas in the church. But he began his letter by saying he was not going to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2 2. This means our gospel is most practical and gets right down to where we live. Much of Paul's letter had to do with sexual problems. It is true. Because we Americans have been weaned on indiscipline, indecency, and sensuality, we are living in modern day Corinth. In our society, it is very difficult for anyone to grow to young adulthood without suffering some damage in the sex department of his or her personality. It is true. I'm thinking of scores of people who have come to me for help. I remember a lady who had heard me speak in her church and then drove 1,200 miles to talk with me. I remember a man who finally came into the office and said he had driven 11 times around the church, getting up enough nerve to come and see me. Both of these people were genuine Christians and both were struggling with problems of homosexuality. I'm thinking of a young lady in a distant university where I held a preaching set mission. To this day, I don't know what she looks like, for she kept her back turned to me and her coat pulled up around her face. As she sat in a corner sobbing, finally she said, I've got to share this with someone before I explore it. Then still facing the corner, she told me she had, she told me the sad story that we hear more and more often these days about a father who had treated her not as a daughter, but as a wife. I'm thinking of scores of young men and women who are fed a lot of false and harmful ideas by well-meaning but ignorant parents and preachers. Now they are unfit for marriage, unable to be husbands and wives who can live without fear, guilt, shame, and condemnation. Damaged? Yes, badly damaged. Does the gospel have a message for these various kinds of emotional emotionally damaged persons? If it doesn't offer healing for all of them, then we had better put a padlock on our church doors, quit playing Christianity, and shut up about our good news. Amen. I agree. So right into it. Let's go right into the next portion. What we're going to be talking about is divine repairs divine repairs let's go does god have some repairs for us yes yes he does paul wrote to the roman christian roman christians about the holy spirit who helpeth our infirmities. Romans chapter 8 verse 26. Many of the modern translations use weaknesses or cripplings in the place of the word infirmities. One meaning of the word help says he helpeth our infirmities. One meaning of the word help has a medical connotation suggesting the way a nurse helps in the healing process. 
So it is not simply to take hold of. So it is not simply to take hold of on the other side, which is the literal meaning of the verb. But that the Holy Spirit becomes our partner and helper who works along with us in a mutual participating who works who works along with us in a mutual participating for our healing. What is our part in the healing of our damaged emotions? The Holy Spirit is indeed the divine counselor, the divine psychiatrist, who gets a hold of our problem on the other end. But we are on this end of it. Just what you and I supposed to do in this healing process? What are you and I supposed to do in this healing process? That is the very purpose of this book, and you'll find many suggestions as you read further. However, at this point, let me suggest the gen let me suggest the general biblical principles that must be followed throughout in order for you to find healing for damaged emotions. And here we go. The first one. Face your problem squarely. Face your problem squarely. With ruthless moral honesty and with God's grace, confront that awful hidden childhood memory. My goodness, I've had to do this. Confront that awful hidden childhood memory. However deep the feelings within you, acknowledge to yourself and acknowledge it to another human being. Some problems can never be solved until you confess them to others. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that they may be healed. James 5.16 Some people miss deep inner healing because they lack the courage to share deeply with another person. Some people miss deep inner healing because they lack the courage to share deeply with another person. Well, this is step number two. Accept your responsibility in the matter. But, you say, I was sinned against. I was a victim. You don't know what happened to me. True enough. But what about your response? What about the fact that you learned to hate or resent or to escape into an unreal world? You may say, my folks never told me anything about sex. And I grew up and I went into this evil world, innocent and ignorant, and got into trouble. That's the way it happened the first time. But what about the second time? Or the third time? Whose fault was it then? Life is like a complicated tapestry, woven with a loom and shuttle. Heredity, environment, all the things experienced in childhood from parents, teachers, playmates, all of life's, all of life's handicaps. All these are things on one side of the loom. And they pass the shuttle to you. 
But remember, you pass the shuttle back through the loom. My goodness. And this action, together with your responses, weaves the design in the tapestry of your life. You are responsible for your actions. You will never receive healing for your damaged emotions until you stop blaming everyone else and accept your responsibility. It is true. It is true that you could have been introduced to pornography when you were young. But as I say, it's what about the... Were you force-fed pornography all the time? Or when your virgin memory was defiled, you went back. What about the second time, the third time? It's, it's a sensitive thing, but it is true. We have to accept some responsibility in the matter. There's a, there's a lady that I happened to share the gospel with maybe a year ago, 2023 summer. And I've had opportunities to, to meet her again and uh, trying to win her to the Lord and things like that. And every time she talks, is someone someone's problem. The government, my mother, my father, this, the church, this, this so and so, this so and so that. She has never, at any one point, said that where she is today in life. There's any blame that can be attributed to her. There's any responsibility. It is, the government is this. The government is that. My body this, my body that. My father did, my father didn't. My friend did, my friend didn't. And so I, I'm hoping to get another copy of this book and share it to her because I was challenging and telling her, you know, for you to freely move into healing, you're going to have to accept, you can't always just be pointing to other people. At certain point, you're going to have to say, yes, I had a part to play with it. And that's what he's saying. He says, you're responsible for your actions. You will never receive healing for your damaged emotions until you stop blaming everyone else and accept your responsibility. Number three, ask yourself if you want to be healed. This is what Jesus asked the sick man who had lain ill for 38 years. John chapter 5 verse 6. Do you really want to be healed or do you just want to talk about your problem? Man, some people are stuck there. They would rather have the merry-go-round talking about the problem. Do you want to use your problem to get sympathy from others? Or do you just want it for a crutch so that you can walk with a limp? The lame man said to Jesus, But Lord, nobody puts me into the pool. I try, but they all get there ahead of me. He would not look deep within his heart to find out whether he really wanted to be healed. We live in an age that some call the goof of error. 
where each person wants to blame someone else instead of facing his own responsibilities. I have been working with college students for many years and sometimes I wonder what the BA degree really means. Bachelor of Arts, oh, Builder of Alibis. Ask yourself, do I really want to be healed? Am I willing to face my responsibility in the matter? Then he continues to say, um, I like this. Forgive everyone who is involved in your problem. Again, this is huge. This is huge. Forgive, this is step number four. The divine repairs that you and I have to go through. Forgive everyone who is involved in your problem. Facing responsibility and forgiving people are really two sides of the same coin. Wow. The reason some people have never been able to forgive is that if they forgive, the last rug will be pulled out from under them and they will have no one to blame. Facing responsibility and forgiving are almost the same action. In some instances, you need to do them simultaneously. Jesus made it very plain that no healing occurs until there is deep forgiveness. My goodness. This is real. No healing occurs until there's deep forgiveness. It is so true. Number five, forgive yourself. So many Christians say, yes, I know that God has forgiven me, but I can never forgive myself. This statement is a contradiction in terms. How can you really believe that God has forgiven you and then not forgive yourself? This is so true. There's some people you meet and like, I just can't forgive myself. I'm like, if the author of forgiveness has forgiven you, what is holding you back from forgiving yourself? You have to pray prayers like that and say, I've prayed before. I said, Calvin, I, I, I've forgiven myself. I've forgiven myself for feeling that I didn't perform to what I was supposed to do. I didn't do this. You have to forgive yourself. This is so true. It says, how can you really believe that God has forgiven you and then not forgive yourself? When God forgives, he buries your sins in the sea of his forgiveness and his forgetfulness. As Corey, as Corey Ten Boom said, he then puts a sign on the bank which says, no fishing allowed. <laughs> meaning you can't go back to find them. You have no right to dredge up anything that God has forgiven and forgotten. He has put it behind his back through an, ins through an inscrutable mystery. Divine omniscience has somehow forgotten your sins. You can forgive yourself. Jesus said, he says, your sins I will remember no more. Even I, I have blotted them out and I don't want to remember them. You know, you got to get to a place where, um, man, you've forgiven yourself and you moved on. I had a friend of mine, a lot of people sometimes are surprised when they meet me and some old friends and they're like, man, they're like, you're not the same person. 
And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm oblivious to that old man. I'm just like forgiving myself and I've moved on. And of course, I, I, I'm not, I've not perfected all of these things, but I can sense a very big difference in my life, in my soul, the health of my soul, because of how I've had to deal with some emotional cleaning. I spend a lot of time. It's not just the outside stuff, binding, loosing, casting demons. No, we have to fight spiritual warfare outside, but also spiritual warfare inside. Warfare of the soul, warfare of our heart and our past. We have to do it. Okay, number six is the last one. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what your real problem is and how you need to pray. That is so good. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what your real problem is and how you need to pray. Paul said that often we do not know how to pray as we ought, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, but the Holy Spirit prays in and through us and makes intercession for us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit uses a temporary assistant in the form of a human counselor who can help us to perceive what the real problem is. Sometimes the Spirit is able to do this through God's Word or through some incident in life that suddenly makes us aware of our real problem. For it is important that we realize that the true problem and know how we should pray. James reminds us that we sometimes do not receive because we pray for the wrong things. James 4.3 it may be essential for you to get help from a counselor or a pastor or a friend. Then together with this person, you can ask the Holy Spirit to show you where your real need is. This is so good. We need to spend time praying about our emotional health. Asking the Holy Spirit, what is really going on? Saying, Holy Spirit, I know I shouldn't be feeling like this. This anxiety is stemming out of some place. Where is this coming from? Where is this stench of anxiety or depression coming from? And so you just start to pray and just ask, say, Holy Spirit, any tree that is causing this, and this anxiety, depression, worry, defeat, condemnation, regret, shame to spring out of nowhere, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you uproot it right now. Let the healing balm of Gilead flow into the crevice of my heart, of my soul, of my mind, and just wash me out. Hallelujah. Woof. There's a whole, whole bunch of readings there. Because we are going to just, it gets gooder and gooder. Um... I had that from a little, <laughs> someone said, um, a little boy uh, um, <laughs> got baptized with, I think, the Holy Spirit and said, how, how does it feel? Said, it gets gooder and gooder. So yeah, now these prayers, oh, this, this is so good, so rich.
It says, do you remember the story of Henry Ford and Charlie Stainment? Stainment was a dwarf, ugly and deformed, but he had one of the greatest minds in the field of electricity that the world has ever known. Stainment built the great generators for Henry Ford in his first plant in Dearborn, Michigan. One day those generators broke down and the plant came to a halt. They brought in ordinary mechanics and helpers who couldn't get the generators going again. They were losing money. Then Henry Ford called Stainmet. The genius came, seemed to just patter around for a few hours and then threw the, and then threw the switch that put the great and then threw the switch that put the great Ford plant back into operation. A few days later, Henry Ford received a bill from Stainmet for $10,000. Although Ford was a very rich man, he returned the bill with a note. Charlie, isn't this bill just a little high for a few hours of tinkering on those motors? On those motors? Stainmet returned the bill to Ford. This time it read, for tinkering around on the motors, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. Total, $10,000. Henry Ford paid the bill. The Holy Spirit knows where to tinker. We do not know what we ought to be tinkering or praying for, we often do not receive because we ask for the wrong things. As you read these chapters, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to know about yourself and then to guide you in prayers. Man, that's good, man. I like this guy. For tinkering around on the motors, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. Henry Ford didn't complain. The Holy Spirit knows where to tinker. But we have to spend time asking him, what is the problem? Where should I tinker? Show me. Let's wrap up with this. Therefore, this is a parable, which we shall be starting with in the next episode. It says, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. One was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. He fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. And loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him 100 pence. The man was forgiven 10,000 talents. Someone owed him 100 pence. And he took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. 
he cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. Matthew 6, 12. That is from Matthew 18, chapter 23 to 28. And it, it finishes by saying, Forgive us our debts. This is from the Lord's Prayer. As we forgive our debtors. Wow. This is so good. Um, so, so good. My goodness. This guy was forgiven 10,000 debts. 10,000 talents. But he took someone that owed him 100 pence, threw him in prison. And told him to pay all. So. The next chapter we're going to be talking about. Talks about guilt. Grace. And debt collecting. This is one of the sweetest chapters. This really ministered to me. And just a preview. Um, for. For. Let's see. Wow. Anyways. With the parable of the unmerciful servant, Jesus put into living color and surround sound his teachings about forgiveness. The parable is filled with profound insights about spiritual and emotional healing. We shouldn't be surprised at this. Jesus was the only normal and perfectly sane person who ever lived. We are told that he knew that he knew what was in man and at the deepest levels. So we should expect his truth, his teachings to contain the most penetrating psychological truths. Wow. We're in for a good one. There's some things I always, I, I read in a parable that I never looked at from, from that angle of forgiveness and um, wow. This is exciting. So, in the next episode, we're going to be off to the races. Grace, um, forgiveness, and debt collecting. Let me see. Yeah. Guilt, grace, and debt collecting how unforgiveness is a blockage is one of the biggest hindrances in our emotional health unforgiving others and unforgiving ourselves not forgiving others and not forgiving ourselves Oof. so The stage is set. From here yonder, we're going to be talking about divine repairs and uh, the areas in our emotional walk where we can start to ask for the healing balm of Gilead to flow into our emotions. 
So with that being said, let us quickly pray along these terms. Psalms chapter 30 verse 1 to 3 says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. In Isaiah chapter, in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, um, let's use Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 to 3. It talks about, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those that are bound. And we're just going to pray that relating to the our soul health, that the Holy Spirit right now, will start to flow. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to once again um, touch each and every one of us that is listening to this. Keep these words that we have had today fresh and center. Bring them to memory. Holy Spirit, we ask right now that there's many of us who have had a troubled past. Many of us who have these symptoms that we've read about of damaged emotions, deep sense of unworthiness, perfectionist complex, supersensitivity, fear, and damaged sexual identity. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that the healing balm of Gilead will flow first of all right now, that you will heal us in every broken-hearted area of our emotions, in our minds, in the depths of our soul, that you will pull up our souls from the grave and from the pit where they have been locked up. Any part of our soul identity, our confidence, our affection, our receiving of love, our giving of love, our hope, Anything that is sabotaging us today and preventing us from being vessels that can be, that can allow the flow, the power of Jesus to flow through us. Holy Spirit, right now, touch every broken heart right now. May our spirits be quickened with the freedom that we no longer have to be captives. He says to proclaim liberty to the captives. May these words right now proclaim liberty to any area of our souls that has been captive from when we were born, from when we were young up to today. In the name of Jesus, that there is liberty. That the Spirit of the Lord, it says the, the Holy Spirit, the power of the anointing is able to break all yokes and remove the burden from off of our shoulders. Every yoke. Every jail cell where our emotions are stuck. Lord, let your Holy Spirit right now break us out of those jail cells right now. In the name of Jesus. Where our confidence is still stuck. Where our beauty, our appreciation of ourselves. Some of us don't even like our names. We don't like how we look like. Physical rejection. We just don't appreciate 
Let the words that you have spoken to us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, let these words be the anchor of our identity. That you love us. That your love is greater. That you, if you are for us, who can be against us? Holy Spirit, right now, help us. Any area of our emotional maturity that is of our emotional health, the puzzle, the pieces to our emotional health that is still locked up in these in this graves, in these prison cells, in these pits. Father, we ask that you heal us and pull us up from the, those depths of despair. Holy Spirit, work with everyone to go through this process of therapy that we have just read. Give us confidence to face the problem squarely, to find the courage to talk to someone about the deep hearts that happened to us when we were young. Help us not to say it was everyone else's fault, but none of us. Help us to accept and take responsibility. Give us, bring us to this place where we are ready to be healed, no longer to carry this crutch, no longer to just carry this problem, this part of our lives as a collection of sympathy. Help us to release and forgive everyone who is involved in this problem in the name of Jesus. Help us to also forgive ourselves. In the name of Jesus. Bring visions. You, Holy Spirit, you communicate in visions. Bring back to memory through dreams, through visions of different parts of our lives, the different people that hurt us that we may not know. Holy Spirit, you know where to tinker. You know the record of the rings of our emotions. So I ask right now that as we go through this book, you will teach us, you will show us what we need to see where we were first rejected, where we were first condemned, where we were first denied, where we were first told that we were not enough, where the first seeds of fear in our lives were planted and to this day they have never been uprooted. You said every root that my father has not planted, I will uproot it. Let every ungodly emotion, every ungodly heart that you did not plant in us, Every tree of damaged emotion that is not meant to stain us be uprooted. Every tentacle of this cancer of defeat, of fear, of rejection, of will kicking, of being afraid to get in the game of life, of being afraid to trust and believe that God is for us and not against us, of this perfectionist complex, of super sensitivity. Father, in the name of Jesus, uproot it right now by the power of the Holy Ghost. Break us out of these jail cells right now. Deliver us. Uproot us right now in the name of Jesus. Uproot us right now in the name of Jesus. That we may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that you may be glorified. Hallelujah. 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 In our minds, Every image that we were exposed to when we were young or when we, every image that we first encountered that very first time that has left a sour taste in our minds, maybe about men, maybe about women, that affected our identity, we ask that you erase it right now. Clean our memories. Give us fresh memories. 
right now in the name of Jesus. Let even those things that have been healed, let the scars not have any impact. Let any area in our lives where we have grown and matured and moved from, may even if that thought comes back, if that memory comes back, it will not have power over us. Any memory in our past, oh Lord, that still has authority over us, that still has any control over us to push us in a certain direction, to cause us to limp, anything in our hearts right now, in our minds, in our, in our emotions, in our memories that still causes us to limp, to walk with a, a, a limp in our confidence, in our romantic engagements, in our financial engagements, transactions, anything that is giving us to walk with a limp that we may not know. Holy Spirit, you know where to tinker right now. Let the healing balm of Gilead flow in right now and obliterate. Let it flow and touch that joint. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Continue to unveil things to us as we journey along. Of areas where we need deep healing. Deep, deep healing. Bring them to the surface. Bring all of it out. Everything we have kept in the Arctic of our emotions, the Arctic of our minds, the Arctic of our hearts, in the storage rooms, go in right now. Break the chains. Break the padlocks. Bring out everything in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, touch your people right now. Touch your people. Flow, flow. May we be sanctified holy, spirit, soul, and body. May sanctification happen to the depths of our soul in the name of Jesus. Woo. Hallelujah. We pray all of this. Amen. 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 We're going to continue journeying. And I hope that uh, you stick around for as long as we need to. There's a lot of things that uh, we're going to trust the Holy Spirit uh, to guide us to have some real conversations through this book. And um, yeah, I'm excited and uh, I'm grateful. I'm looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. And if you have any testimonies, feel free to share them and post them in the comments. And uh, we have an email address on there. If you want to share something, if you want to get on the show to talk about some things, you're invited. You're invited. Now then, the words to send us off today, our closing benediction is now to him who is able, wow, <laughs> now to him who is able to establish you according to the gospel and preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God, alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Once again, amen. Your host for today was Calvin Kavanda. That's my name. We hope this episode blessed your heart. Grace, 
Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied unto you. The Lord bless and keep you from the evil one. Thank you for tuning in and see you on the next episode. Mm -hmm.